Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Mike Chenitz with Cloud Unfiltered, and today we have Darshan from Isma. Uh, we'd like to welcome him to the show. And uh, Darshan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's start out that way. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I'm Darshan. I'm the founder and CEO of Isma. And uh, I, before Isma, I've spent a couple of decades in Silicon Valley, first as an uh, engineer for the first decade, and then in engineering and product management roles. Um, throughout the journey, I worked on data and data problems with AI and ML. Uh, uh, a big caveat, the kind of AI ML that goes live and makes or saves money, not the kind of AI ML that remains in the academia. Um, so that's a good caveat, by the way. That's a very important one. Yes. yes. And, and people forget that. Uh, so being an engineer, built telco appliances, networking devices uh, in the earliest phases of my career, did AIML at Yahoo in 2006 and seven, built high-frequency trading, ultra-high-frequency trading at DE Shaw in 2008, ironically, and then took on product management and engineering leadership roles for OpenWave and then Datastax, uh, which is uh, one of the big data companies and got an opportunity to speak to Fortune 1000 CIOs outside of Silicon Valley and build a lot of empathy for the enterprise market. So that's me. Now, that sounds great. Um, so, you know, really what we're trying to figure out is where are we with AIML and, and where is the industry? You know, because we talked about a lot about, you know, academia and, and obviously that's a, that's a big part of this. But where is the actual industry in, in this whole journey? In one word, it's behind. Uh, that's the short way of putting it, right? It's behind compared to where it should have been. And part of it is just the Silicon Valley psyche that all Silicon Valley entrepreneurs have. They always want to push the ball forward. But I think in the case of AIML, we are truly behind. Uh, Gartner recently did a survey of the top companies across the globe, you know, the big boys who have thousands of people working on AIML. And they came to a conclusion that uh, it takes about 8.6 months. I don't know how they got that 0.6 months, <laughs> but it takes 8.6 months for an AI ML project to go from POC to production, right? Wow. If it even makes it. And I remember in 2006, when I was doing the same thing at Yahoo, I was a young engineer trying to put an AI ML model in production. It took me nine months. So in, wow. in 14 years, we have shrunk 0.4 months. And that is really where the industry truly is in terms of practical reality beyond the buzz. Right? So that, that's an interesting point because I, I feel like, and Mike will appreciate that, you know, as someone who works for a, a fairly large vendor in the space, I feel like it's impossible to launch a product nowadays that doesn't have the buzzword AI ML. And, you know, we all jokingly say that it's just a bunch of algorithms underneath the cover. Um, so it's interesting to hear kind of the, the counter argument, which is we're not as far along as as we think we are. So what do you think uh, is creating that gap? Is it is it a skill gap? Are we still catching up? Are, you know, are colleges finally kind of realizing that this is a, an industry that we need to go into? Is it a technical gap? Like we, we're not, like Kubernetes is just on the rise. And so maybe, you know, those sort of things are gonna push this forward. In your mind, what, what is causing that sort of, uh, that lag, if you will? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question, Andrew. And, and the first, uh, uh, thing I'll say is that the industry is progressing very fast. It's just that there is a class of haves and have-nots, right? And the haves are the big boys of the world, the Alibaba's, the Google's, the Tencent's, the AWS of the world. 
they are cutting it. They're pushing the boundaries further and further along uh, in terms of what what uh, OpenAI can do, what um, you know, uh, Boston Dynamics can do. I mean, those pockets are seeing amazing innovation and application of data and AI and ML. What's not happening is the rest of the world, which is, in my opinion, 95% of the problem. Uh, whether it's healthcare, whether it's uh, government, whether it's telcos, whether it's fraud. I mean, just look at the solar winds attack, right? I mean, after so long, we still got an intrusion from a state actor. Yeah. And and I worked for fraud in 2006 at Yahoo, and, and we used to have something called Yahoo Department of Defense, Yahoo YDOD. And uh, we used to, we were doing pretty cutting edge stuff at that point in time. But I don't believe the security and the cybersecurity industry has progressed to a level where these things can uh, prevent us from, from things. And that's where an application is, in my opinion, we are behind, right? And to, to go to the reasons, in my opinion, number one reason why we are behind, broadly speaking, outside the 50 miles corridors of Silicon Valley is uh empathy you know people have not built enterprise empathy for the enterprise market they don't understand that enterprises outside of this valley don't have the same skill sets as netflix or facebook or google trying to sell them a cloud native uh, solution the name of it and then trying to make all of these things work it's a monstrosity right in fact uh, one of the vcs recently came up with a beautiful data architecture diagram and i asked him i said so all these companies out here that you have placed very nicely in your quadrants, uh, if which enterprise in the world can afford all of them, right? Yeah. And for every dollar of revenue that these companies make, how much how much money does the enterprise make or save, right? And he didn't have an answer for that, right? So how do you? I, how do you uh, I mean, how do you think that you can prove that value, right? So so I guess that's an interesting premise. It's you know I, I feel like we've gotten really good at data lakes here's all your data you know you mentioned security um we have our own products inside of cisco that do something similar where it's like here's all the data that we have on you here's all the alerts all the metrics you could possibly want but like the the actual uh inaction of you know remediating some of that data is very difficult so how, i mean how do you even begin to approach uh some notion of roi or or something like that Exactly. And I think uh, number one thing that people have to understand is that machine learning and AI are first and foremost data problems, right? They're not, they're 90% data problems, they are 10% the math, right? And we got too swayed away on the math and the academia of it instead of focusing on the boring stuff, which is data. And, it's, and the good news is that the industry is finally starting to realize it and customers are starting to realize it. The second thing is, as you rightfully said, the data lake, I'm talking to a uh, big competitor of Cisco in the security mm -hmm. space. And they have spent $200 million building a quote-unquote data lake, uh, uh, one of the best, apparently one of the best data platforms in the cybersecurity industry. And if you go and talk to one of the users of that platform in the same company, they will tell you it doesn't work. And mm -hmm. this is after $200 million spent over the last four years. So it's clear that people have recognized about the idea about data lakes and all that, but cybersecurity doesn't wait for the data to reach the data lake, right? The intrusion has happened, the threat has happened, it's all gone. And, and I think there is definitely a class of need for applications which are more, to use the corny word, real-time in nature, uh, which don't rely on a data lake, right? They, they don't rely on a fragmented ecosystem of data tooling 
where every piece is a point of the puzzle till it reaches the data lake and then the data science works on it and then you get a model and then the model gets deployed. Uh, in my opinion, this is local product market fit gone right for each individual company or category, but the global product market fit got wrong for the market or the customer. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's interesting because I think every single company can benefit for this from this, you know. So, um, you know, you think about just like, I mean, I've been involved in mortgage companies and, you know, in, in IT and things like that. And you think about like all these different, you know, uh, different verticals that have this need to look at everything, to look at social data, to look at you know, the, uh, the numbers and, and everything in between and, and throw it into some kind of AI platform and figure out, okay, how does this stuff correlate? Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like either there is, you know, there's this stigma that it's so complex that we just can't get into it or that data scientists and data architects are so expensive that, you know, it just, it, it won't make sense. So, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's creating a platform that's just so easy that you could physically say, throw the numbers, like, you know, using unstructured data or something like that, and just throw the numbers at it and then pick little gooey widgets to do different things. I don't know if that's the answer and maybe have it all cloud focused. One of the things I could tell you is it's not easy to install. Like if you were to, if you were to install um, even Kubeflow or something like that, it's not easy. You know, we, we have installers to do it, but even after that, setting it up, you know, getting everything into there. So, I mean, I think there's multiple issues with where everything is right now. And not to mention that the silicon and the, and the dedicated, um, you know, silicon's getting better and better and that's making things faster, but it's not getting fast enough yet, you know, so in my opinion. So, you know, what, what is it? Maybe it's a combination of all those things. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but it's interesting. It's very interesting, and, and in my opinion, you hit the nail where it should be, Michael. I think data architects and data scientists are too expensive, number one. Enterprises cannot afford it. Enterprises, politely put it, they will say that they have the engineering firepower to work on it, but frankly, if those engineers were so good, they would be working in Facebook and Google, not in Walmart or Target. Yeah. So, so, so the reality is that... Um, and, and then again, I'm not saying it in a derogatory way, I'm just building empathy. I, it took me a long time to build this empathy because I was on the product role of data stacks and I realized no matter how much, they, by the way, these enterprises are spending billions of dollars on IT, right? Like it's not a small number. A bank CIO told me uh, five years ago, I have to cut a billion dollars from my budget. So I, my first question to him was, what's your budget? And he said, it's $13 billion. <laughs> so they're spending $13 billion on IT. They're cutting a billion on their budget. And this bank, one of the top two in the US, uh, still doesn't have search, right? After 20 years of Google wow. search, right? It, isn't it amazing? Forget about AIML. They just don't have search, right? Because they yeah. can't afford it. And so this empathy is very important for Silicon Valley to build and understand the ecosystem in which the CIOs and the IT leadership work, number one. Number two, also recognize that the gap is, and the opportunity is massive to help them close the data to AIML gap. Um, but if you do it the way I did it at Uber and so you should do it too, it's not gonna work. I mean. History has shown, and we keep on forgetting history, but just look at the three Hadoop vendors, you know, Hadoop, CloudEra, yeah. and, and Hortonworks. I mean, three of them are, I wouldn't say practically gone, but it, it, it's, it's almost like nobody's talking about Hadoop anymore, right? Like, it, it was exactly that, Michael. You know, it was difficult. I feel like by the time I learned what Hadoop was, it was no longer relevant for me to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is true. It is true. 
And and so, by the way, I came from the Yahoo world, and we used the precursor to Hadoop to put go live. And I couldn't put use Hadoop at Yahoo to go live because Hadoop was too expensive for Yahoo. I mean, just think about it. Right? Wow. wow. So so if if I can't use Hadoop for click fraud, then and we sold it to rest of the world. Now, obviously, the industry came about and made it better, and you know all of that stuff. But people forgot at the end of the day that enterprise needs simplicity, right? Uh, is is what I tell. What I tell most of my friends is like, I'm an engineer. I love an Android phone to root itself and put some crazy stuff out there. But my mom really lives an iPhone, and she likes to mm -hmm. call, make calls, and make messages. And the enterprise really prefers an iPhone, which is what you're seeing with Snowflake and the rest of the crowd. That just a simple enterprise data warehouse on the cloud, and all the noise is gone. Right? It's very simple. It's SQL. People are used to it. You don't fight the muscle memory. I was I was warning about another vendor that was like we're not even gonna bother making our own data lake or our own data platform. I'm, we're just gonna use Snowflake. Like what, what, I mean, it's almost like the new MongoDB where it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about my own DB. I'm just gonna go take something off the shelf. And and it sounds like Snowflake is the next thing. Snowflake. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's the key there. I mean, you look at it, it's almost like the Amazonation of the, of everything. You know, where where people just want to consume the services and they want it to be easy. You know, if you make something so difficult, that's not where we are in the industry. I mean, you know, if we're not on the command line and CLI anymore. <laughs> we're in data analytics. We want to be able to track and see and click and and drop down and and we want we want the 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 um you know the 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 top level where we where we could have data learning figure out all this stuff for us. And that's the that's the image that we want to see. We just want to throw something at something and we want it to figure it out. And and the fact that people, you know, really haven't learned the technology yet, it's become very hard to do that. Um, and the platforms I don't think are there yet in order to make it easier. Yeah, platforms are definitely not there, which is you're right. I think at the end of the day, it has the ease of use is number one. Now, what happened? So, if you look at the two industries in the last decade, one was the data world, which is the Hadoop's and you know MongoDBs and Elastic and you know, all that ecosystem, the open source world. You see what's happening with almost all of them, right? Like uh, you know, Amazon is going after Elasticsearch. They are forked Elasticsearch now. Yeah. Uh, Kafka has a different licensing and kind of structure. So the whole open source world is in almost disarray. And people tell me, oh, just see how good Databricks and Kafka is doing. And I tell them, just wait for three years after they go IPO. That's all you have to wait for. <laughs> you will see the economics on the books, and you will figure out how bad or good they are, really. right? So again, great companies, but open source is not a product-driven model. It's a lead gen model, uh, which is I, what I, I think of that. I don't know if you, this might be showing my age, but the Spider-Man meme, where there's two Spider-Man pointing at each other, like, no, it's you, it's your fault, or it's your fault. <laughs> I feel like so, open source at AWS right now, they're like, no, it's all you, but no, it's all you. It's so, so that brings me to a question. Then, do there need to be more standards around, you know, uh, AIML in terms of streaming, in terms of data formats, in terms of, you know, sharing? All these things that you need to to make that data kind of normalized. Does there need to be more standards around that? I think so too. I really think so. I think one of the reasons why the NoSQL moment kind of tapered off, and 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 you can see like there was MongoDB, there was Couchbase, there was Cassandra, there were all these different NoSQL flavors. They were all unified in one thing that they were not SQL, but other than that, there was nothing unified about yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and, almost like you need the Open API kind of swagger documentation for data transformation you know <laughs> and it's happening it's happening now people have recognized that you have to move to graphql and other open api standards mm -hmm. but in my opinion in the data world sql is one 
That's the simple answer. Uh, you know, Databricks realized it in 2012, 2013, and they just got rid of their own proprietary sort of map reduces kind of algorithm, and then they moved to SQL. Uh, Snowflake has clearly proven SQL on a data warehouse is working. You look at Starburst data, you look at Dremio and all these folks, they're making really headways in making SQL the lingua franca for the data analyst or the data scientist. Um, so I think standards will emerge. It's emerging and it's going to emerge as we go along. Uh, the challenge still remains, though, is that if you look at a macro picture, data is in these two big camps right now, or three big camps, I would say. Uh, there's the cloud ecosystem, right, which is the snowflakes of the world, obviously getting traction quite a bit. But yes, the concern is once you get in there, it's hard to get out of it there. Then there is the open source ecosystem, which is saying, hey, we are the Swiss option across all the cloud players. Uh, although I think they, that story won't last for too long because uh, the cloud guys will make it easier and easier. BigQuery can run on Amazon now, so it's, it's possible to do that. And then there is a third ecosystem which nobody has paid attention to, which is the SaaS ecosystem, right? Uh, put a pixel on your app and get your data to me and I'll show you a beautiful dashboard, right? That's been like the other mantra. And it, it's funny, when we talk to customers, no matter where you go, they have all three of them. It's not like they've all gone in on Redshift and done that. They've all gone in on SaaS and done that. They have all three, which is the shocking part, that your data is completely fragmented in three different ecosystems. I'm sure that's expensive, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you've got data gravity, so the data's going to stay there. And then if you want data to move from one place to the other, you know, if it's in a SaaS platform, guess what? You're paying for every single packet. That well, works. I mean, Andrew, you can think of like what we did, you know, when, when we were looking at products, we were looking at how do we make those products easier to consume for the end user, you know? And so we use products like walk me and like, you know, and that would have some data. And then we had websites that we wanted to grab, you know, data from, and then we had databases and customer yeah. databases and all kinds of other stuff. So, and you want to correlate that, but we're using all these different products to do that. And it becomes very, kind of you know uh disaggregated and you know <laughs> it's just it's it's not a good story where really you should be feeding everything into a single kind of bucket and then figure it out from there i think that's always the better story yes and we did uh so, but, but the data lake was supposed to be the answer to that right it wasn't yeah. data lake that data lake was supposed to take all the data from disparate sources put it in one place and build your yep. thing except after that you suddenly started seeing data swarms and data ponds and you know god knows what all right so in reality we just went 30 years back if you think for a moment for 30 years data has been in four different categories right e enterprise service bus etl edw and bi it's always been these four. And you keep on innovating in each of these areas. You know, there was uh, MuleSoft and there was all these guys. And now there is Kafka. There was Data Stage ETL before Big Data. Now there is there was MapReduce and now there is Spark. There is There was Teradata and now there is Snowflake. There was, you know, the business objects and Tableau and now there is Tosspot. Yeah, the whole mainframe and... Yeah, know, I mean, that, but you could... <laughs> You could kind of argue that's the whole computer industry because we keep going back from like, you know, going circles. <laughs> going back in circles where we had the PC and now everything's in the cloud, which was really, you know, kind of like the, the mainframe type idea before, you know? <laughs> and and just, yeah. I mean, it's just so everything's kind of cyclical. We just kind of refactor it and, you know, whatever and change it up. It's almost like the, the diets that you get, you know, the diets <laughs> keep changing and then, and then they keep, it's keep, you know, getting new again. Um, it just, 
Yeah, it seems fun. that's what the industry does. <laughs> the industry likes to, yeah. The pendulum keeps swinging on client server, server, thick server, yep. Line, yep. Thick line, thin server, right? But, <laughs> but but if you look at the data industry, the data industry has fundamentally not changed. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That if you go back to 90s, you were doing ESB, ETL, EDWBI. And even when machine learning as an application and AI came along, we're still doing ESB, ETL, EDWBI. There is no difference. It's just the technologies themselves are changed. Maybe we can do more scale because of Kafka. Maybe we can do distributed MapReduce because of Spark. But across the architecture of an enterprise, we are still doing the same. And the question really belong, starts with this. Data sources have become varied. You are dealing with structured and semi-structured data, unstructured data. And you need all these tooling to make any value out of data. So. A machine learning model that has to show some value or some semantic of an ROI first has to dig itself out of the cost of all of these things, right? That's a first, good point. You have to, yeah. first, you have to implement that road to drive the car, which takes you nine months, which is the 8.6 months, most of the 8.6 months. Then you have to, if you are lucky, that car will actually drive. Otherwise, it won't, right? Which is <laughs> so that's what we have done with data. And uh, in my opinion, a new approach is necessary, especially for the enterprise, right? I mean, obviously, the Google guys have the cloud native scale. But here's a question to ask. Which companies in the world have cloud scale? Yeah. So what's the answer to that? What's so? <laughs> Great question. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think the answer to that is, uh, well, this is where I'll dive a little deeper into what we have been doing. We've been thinking about this problem for so long, and we said, how do we solve this data problem from ingest to insight, right? Not just from ingest to ingestion, to cleansing, to data cataloging, to discovery, to metadata management, to data lake, you know, all of these individual data XYZ things to from the data that it emanates from a Cisco router to the time that a predictive maintenance algorithm picks it up and says, go and fix that router, it's about to break, right? That whole thing has to be a single cookie cutter product, right? It's almost like a Tesla. You know, if you need a Tesla, you don't go and buy battery packs and try to build your own Tesla. You actually buy a Tesla. So we thought about building a Tesla for the data industry. And that's what our product and offering is. What we have done with that is that one data analyst, one data analyst, data analyst, not a data engineer or a data scientist, <laughs> is able to put somebody with three years of experience in Python, not you know the crazy open AI data scientist, is able to put a machine learning quote unquote, uh, can be heuristics, can be machine learning, I don't want to get into it, model in production to show business value, right? And do that in a matter of four weeks. That's the net outcome that we went after. And unfortunately, Silicon Valley has been too stuck on my NoSQL is better than your NoSQL, you know, ETL is better than ELT. We like to enjoy these buzzwords. Yep. In reality, what the enterprise wants is outcomes, right? It's like my mom, she wants to make a call. That's all she wants. She doesn't really care that I don't have an SD card to put on, on, on an expandable or dual SIM or you know all of those capabilities. They just want a simple product, which makes things live, shows value, and keep on iterating on it. And that, in my opinion, is the future of the industry. Uh, and that's what we want to pioneer going forward with. So let me ask you a question about that. So is there a concept, and I don't know if there is, if, if, if this is even possible, but is there a way to, to kind of have a model marketplace where you could say, hey, this model is close enough to your industry that you could just tweak it for the specifics in your values and just say, hey, you know, 
you don't have to create the model from scratch. We've done all the heavy lifting and all the work. You could kind of just take it, kind of, you know, model those few differences and then, you know, uh, you know, ingest it and, and use that. Is that a, is that a possibility in the, in the industry? Let me, uh, let me piggyback on Mike's question. <laughs> I want to, I want to take a step back because I feel like we glossed over it in your explanation, which was really good. But yeah. How, you know, how much of catering your model and your pro like the product that you ultimately want, uh, do, how much does that matter when you look at what your data lake is, what your, your industry is, right? So even before you get to the modeling stage, I, I find it absolutely fascinating that you want to take one data analyst and give them that, that ability. I think that's great. But I think the, the first question becomes, how do you evaluate a product set for your given data, for your given industry, right? So like we have products inside of Cisco, there's products on the market that will do things for security, but they will not analyze your cloud spend, right? So the, the, AI, the AI ML that's required for optimizing costs is not gonna be the same AI ML that's gonna be for optimizing security insights. So I guess even before we get to the model, which is the end state, how do you evaluate these products and what, what should you be considering as an enterprise uh, when you're when you're doing this evaluation, do I need a bunch of different products that do certain things, or do I need one product like maybe what you're advocating for that can kind of pivot between the different industries? Brilliant question, Andrew. This is a billion dollar question, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 this will take some explanation to do. But sure, yeah. Today, there are vertical products, right? If you want to optimize your cloud spend, there is a solution for that. If you want to look at cybersecurity, there are not one, there are 20 solutions for that. Yeah. <laughs> None of them practically work. The fraud still happens between yeah. of those 20. But anyway, there, there are lots of lots of cybersecurity solutions. Then there is the marketing spend solution. You know, the marketing guys are using 20 tools to optimize the marketing. But there are these vertical solutions that have emerged over the last decade in the name of SaaS, in the name of, you know, put a pixel and I'll give you some magic. And if you really unbundle them, it boils down to you're going to collect some data, structured, semi-structured, unstructured. You're going to have a data platform which can do all of the things that I just mentioned. 99% of the SaaS companies are using exactly those open source products and trying to make sense out of it. And then on top of it, you will have a solution, your application, which is cost optimization, marketing optimization, threat prevention, whatever it is, right? And in that application, there is a model which is going to make that application smarter. Right. So it almost sounds like that data platform is almost the most important, most important aspect of this entire thing, because the abstractions, you know, you're abstracting on top of abstracting, but you need that consistent, like, here's all the data, here's the data platform, and now we're going to put the application on top. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So what we, what we thought was, and, and that is the thing, that is our key insight, is that if you think about the data for cybersecurity and the data for cloud spend, turns out both of those data streams have 90% overlap. Right, huh. your your model, which is using CPU utilization of a machine, is very useful if a fraud or a, somebody is attacking you and your process is spinning, right, or a Docker container is spinning. So, monitoring cybersecurity, cloud cost management, observability for us, these are a class of applications which would actually benefit by what I call the joins between the data set rather than their siloed data sets. Today, an enterprise has built vertical solutions. And by the way, this is common in retail or anywhere else, right? You have a warehouse management system, you have a point of sale system, you have an online e-commerce system, you have a marketing optimization system. Everybody is just moving data around between this in a peer-to-peer -peer manner. 
And what's really necessary, Andrew, to your point, is this data platform, which is a plug and play. I just put it up there. I should be able to onboard API latencies. I should be able to onboard credit card transactions. I should be able to onboard marketing clicks on my app in the same data platform and expose it to this data analyst to do whatever they want, whatever the business problem they want to solve, right? And that is in a nutshell what we built. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think about that all the time, even inside Cisco, you know, I think about like, we have all these chat rooms, you know, that that salespeople are talking about that SEs are talking, we should be able to like, analyze what products they're talking about the most and see, you know, get some data from that from AI and say, you know, and maybe we do this, I don't know, but, uh, you know, um, you know, but basically take all the information and that and this gets back into ethics, I guess, too, you know, how much of this is really can we can we get and people are afraid or are more afraid these days, I think of the ethics of all this than than in my opinion, than than a lot of other things. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. But um yeah, I mean, we should be taking every single feed. What are we selling? What are we, you know, what are people talking about? What What is the social media? Let's, you know, and just kind of bunching it all together and then analyzing that to figure out what our next move is. You know, that to me is how companies should operate these days. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's great. I mean, you should have a dashboard which is the top 10 Cisco products that people are buzzing about, right? Yeah, and maybe we do. I mean, I'm not involved in that part of it, you know, so maybe, maybe we absolutely do this and maybe this is something we do. I have no idea, but I think... That is that. That's where companies need to get in general. Is that they should be analyzing all external and internal data to make either if it's a product a better product, if it's a service, find out about that service. You know, whatever it is, they they should be analyzing that. And and that brings us back to ethics because you know, uh, you know, you see Google dropped what two people now. That's the big news right now that their their ethical advisors are all of a sudden gone. So I don't know <laughs> the reasoning behind that, but maybe they want to do something that's not non-ethical. I don't know, but I, I don't think that's the case. But, um, you know, the ethics seem to be another big concern with companies. Like what data can we use? What data, you know, so how do you get past that? You know, because obviously people are afraid AI is going to take over the world. It's not. And people don't understand. I mean, we understand it because we're in the industry. We understand that, you know, you need a data set. You either have structured, unstructured, semi-structured, you put it in, you model it, you do some things. You're, it's not something like you see in the movies. I think people have the movie, you know, image of it. So how do you get people past that? And what do you think, where do you think we are in that part of the journey for, for the industry? Yeah, that's, again, a great question. And I would say ethics is so far away from most of the enterprise people's radar. I think, exactly, Google can afford to talk about ethics because it's so large. But let's take off of Home Depot, right? Let's not yeah. talk about Google. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they have to talk about ethics. But I think they have to start at, you know, flow number one, which is governments. And let's take this chat thing, right? So... Let's say you wanted to build this. What are the top 10 products my sales and SEs are talking about? Sure, there is a chat room. You can integrate with the chat room in an API, bring that data into one platform and try to show some top 10 dashboard. But now let's say that what are the top 10 IPs which are streaming uh, data today, right? And I want to see fraud. Turns out it's exactly the same problem. It's the top 10 products or top 10 IPs, right? Yep. That's really what 90% of SecOps or 90% of marketing optimization is. But instead of thinking of these as same class of problems, we thought of them as separate applications, which is why these data are now in silos. Ethics and governance is very different. But instead, if you thought of this as all being in one kind of application, it's kind of what Docker did to stateless applications, right? Instead of thinking it as vertical, stateless, and stateful application tied together of AI, ML, and its data, 
think of it as a horizontal data layer uh, on top of which a collection of stateless applications can live and they can come and go they can be ephemeral they can you know kubernetes can manage them very nicely but the data layer is where you are now starting to put all your categories of governance of ethics of obfuscation of you know all of those controls uniformly across all of those applications within an enterprise and that is the only solution there's no other solution other than uh, if you rely on the applications guy to be ethical that's not going to happen i mean they're going to do the best for their application right they are doing local optimizations but these questions of ethics of governance are across the enterprise and they're enterprise wide and you have to do it at a data platform layer but for doing that the data and the application have to get decoupled it's essentially what has happened in the microservices world is going to happen in the data world quite a bit gotcha that's, uh, that's an interesting perspective for sure so i feel like we've we've danced around it a little bit but you know i wanted to give you a little bit of an opportunity to talk about you know more specifically what you guys are doing with your platform and 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 what your your company is hoping to solve so can you just give us a little bit more uh, i guess tangible sort of description of what what you know uh, what you guys are building and what you're offering? Yeah, so we are a data platform company. We are the pioneer of the first hyperconverged data platform. Uh, hyperconverged was a concept that was coined by a company called Nutanix uh, in the late 2008. We know them well. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's very ironic, right? It's the company which reached a billion in ARR before AWS did. People yeah. forget wow. these things, but. But Nutanix actually reached a billion in ARR before AWS. They bet against the cloud in 2008, and they said an enterprise doesn't need cloud native, cloud scale. It all it needs is a simple box, right? And hypervisor, yeah. uh, you know, hyperconverged appliance. And what they did was they took compute, storage, and network and converged it into a same system and gave it to the enterprise. And and I think that was a genius feat of product because it's not like the technologists in Nutanix would not have built a Google scale file system because they came from Google and Astro Data and other places. They probably did all their development on public cloud. Exactly. <laughs> <To be honest. laughs> but what they realize is that the world doesn't need yet another cloud scale thing because most of the people, a four node cluster or a 16 node cluster is good enough. And we realized that at DataStax too. Netflix can run a 10,000 node data stacks cluster, but our average cluster size was 19 nodes, right? And it was very small. So we are trying to do the same with data management. These four layers that I talked about, ESB, ETL, EDW, BI, we are trying to hyperconverge all of these into a single box, right? Think of it as a, it's cloud, it's not a box, it's not an appliance, it runs on the cloud, it's scale out, you know, all of that stuff. But metaphorically, we are hyper-converging data management end-to-end uh, -end. from the time that a pixel generates the data to the time that a model consumes and runs. The whole thing is a single data platform, completely self-serve, so a data analyst can make a model live in a matter of weeks, right? And, and SQL-friendly, ecosystem-ready, you know, so open standards, open APIs, uh, nothing proprietary under the hood, have a self-serve offering, runs on any cloud, uh, we are not tied to our own cloud. We don't believe in the data moving to our platform. We believe in the platform moving to the data, uh, kind of the old MapReduce paper. Um, and started with Seltzer, as you said, Michael, right? It's all ease of use. Throw your data at us. In weeks, you will see the value. Do right? you require that the, so you, I know the platform itself runs on any data uh, or any cloud. Do you require that the data co-reside inside that, that data center as well? Or is there still an option for the company to do the aggregation, maybe in a private data center, but then use the cloud for processing. 
Oh, it can be both. So we can run our our deployment is, in fact, it can be in tandem. You can ingest the data on your private data center and you can analyze the data on the public cloud if you have a VPC between the two. So and is, we, there, is there a SaaS offering or is it or is it uh, just kind of self-install, self, uh, you know, uh, we have our own SaaS offering, and okay. use, we have customers who are using our SaaS offering. The the usually the B two C kind of e commerce kinds of folks who are comfortable with the cloud native offerings. Um, but there, we have worked with telcos and banks who definitely won't need a of course SaaS offering. So we have yeah. an enterprise offering where you can install it. It's all Docker Kubernetes compliant, Docker native installation. So in fifteen minutes, we can spin up. A, you know, a big cluster for a bank to do trading or to do churn reduction or whatever. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, that, that brings up a great point, though, is it's the analyst, you know, because a lot of people don't know the divisions, but the analyst really is somebody that is is typically, you know, not as expensive. You can bring them in, they can analyze your data. It's the data scientists and, the you know, you know those people are the ones that you see the numbers tick up a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and the architects, you know, so, uh, but the, the fact that you could just take an analyst and kind of just throw them at this, you know, really says a lot about the product. So, I feel um, the same way about technical yeah. marketing and yeah. oh, thanks a lot. management, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my data, data analyst too, my data scientist. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's an interesting thing, though. I think that that you know um, in itself says a lot. Um, and uh, you know, I'd love to see, I'd love to see how how that you know how that kind of what that looks like like what is a what is a user that first comes to your platform and says okay i'm an analyst how do i do this what does it look like to actually get on the platform and what do they have to do oh wow that's a great question so, <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that we always tell our customers i say look i can bore you all day long about the capabilities of the platform but why don't you do this you pick a hard problem that you want to solve let's say this uh Let's take a real problem. Let's say this is uh, unfiltered cloud unfiltered podcast, and you want to see how many hits you're getting. Let's solve the top 10 problem for your podcast, right? And let's figure out how often are you editing out things and how often you are keeping it in. And statistically, is it relevant when Andrew speaks or when Michael speaks? Absolutely not. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. It's absolutely not relevant. It's always Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm just making the use case. Yeah, up, right? No, so, absolutely. But let's say there was such a use case and you wanted to solve this use case or you want to solve the chat use case, right? Um, uh, who, which products at Cisco are people buzzing about, right? We should be able to do that if you put a data analyst. We work with you. You come up with a list of things that you want to ingest the data sources from. So let's say it's the chatbot application or some API endpoint or whatever it is. Um, we forcefully tell them to focus on the ontology design in Excel. Like we forget about my product, you know, just, just think about the fields and the attributes and the features and everything else that you need, which they're very happy with. They don't want to touch any product, actually. They're, they're more <laughs> interested in looking at, you know, what are the different data fields and cardinality and, and then let's come up with features, let's come up with that. They spend two to three days on it. Then they take that and they provision into our system in an hour in UI, uh, you know, a few clicks and it's done. Uh, they have programmatic access if they want to, but most of them are happy with the UI. <laughs> Once they're done with that, then the question comes, okay, I get all the ontology done. Now I have to ingest the data from my endpoint, whatever the endpoint is, could be a Kafka stream, could be some API endpoint, could be files, could be chain data capture, you know, whatever. 
and they're very comfortable with that. So we give them enough connectors for all of those things, and they have to write very little code to get a data source onboarded on top of us. That takes a day or two at best. The moment they do that, they get real-time BI. As soon as the data starts flowing in, they start seeing BI dashboards, right? And that's the first insight. Wow, in a week, I can see the top 10 products that people are chatting about in a UI model. Forget about a real ML model. Yeah. Then they say, no, I don't want this. I don't want to slice and dice. And these features are not right. I want to add some new features. I want to add change. They can do all of these things self-serve by themselves. They don't need anybody to, any data engineer to help them build all these data pipelines and whatnot. So that's what our product does. Once they are done with that, they got all the things in place. Now it's up to the modeling piece, which is when they do feature engineering and you know all of that good stuff. And again, all these features that we build for the BI dashboard are the features that they can use in in, in their Python, Jupyter Notebooks, or whatever whatever their sure. tool is, right? And now they are, they, we are completely agnostic to the ML model, as we discussed. You know, people like PyTorch, people like TensorFlow, people like different people like different things. They pick the tool of their choice. Sometimes they pick a, pick a simple linear regression and go with it. And they pick a model, and, and they pick that model. They work with it, and they say, you know, is this giving me the right conversion rate that I expected? That takes about a week. And then final week is about productionization, uh, which is where they take that and actually productionize it. And you know, okay, this is really working. This is not working out. So that's roughly a four-week cycle, from end to end, from definition of a problem to going live. And most of it is done through our self-serve UI. They don't need to rely on anybody else. They don't need to go to a data engineer to say, hey, I don't have this data feed. Can I get it? They just get it themselves, right? They don't need to wait for anybody else. So that's essentially what we do. I'm happy to give you a demo if you're interested in it. <laughs> no, actually, you know, I would love to see it some other time. Uh, yeah, but we'll, uh, we'll at least put it in the show notes. Uh, we'll drive yeah. at least the, the, the website if they want to learn a little bit more about what you guys are trying to accomplish. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that what he was talking about about onboarding this sounds exactly like what a product manager would do. You know, because they're looking at the features, they're looking at the you know all of the different elements and trying to figure it out. So it's almost like product management, but for data is, is yeah. what the analyst oh, is doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so deep in the in the clouds at this point. I don't think I can learn another thing. Uh, so I'll let the data. I would agree. Problem. <laughs> Well, so thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, it's been it's been um, just uh, honestly an uh, a, a awesome take on something that Mike and I aren't usually involved in at all. So I think there's a there's a pretty strong assumption that the data is there and it will show up and there will be some some alerts and like you know talking about how to actually improve that experience and and really understanding the difference between where we think AI ML is and where it actually needs to be. Uh, that, that was a fascinating conversation. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so I think as we wrap this up, you know, I, I mentioned in our pre-call, uh, what sort of takeaways or key messages do you want to leave our users with? You, um, anything that, that you know, they should follow up on or things that they should consider if they're, if they're uh, you know, there's an enterprise out there listening to, to what you have to say? Yeah. There are three things that come to mind. Number one is data is hard, and it has been made more harder in the last decade to the tool chain, not easier. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an illusion created that you can cobble together a bunch of products and make money. The reality is that only the providers of those tools make money. You don't. Uh, the people who lose in this are your customers, your enterprise customers, and the enterprise IT. 
the second thing is that there is a need to think about data management end to end rather than individual piecemeals. Uh, that's essentially what we did. We thought of the data problem from ingest to insight, and rather than getting too worked up on the AI, we believe that there are three consumers of data: API, AI, BI, and you need unified semantics for all three of them. And so that's kind of what we focused on. And the final slogan, by the way, insight or ingest insight. I feel like that's got to be your slogan. That's a that's a good that's, one. That's it it rings well, right? Uh, I think it <laughs> speaks to what you guys are trying to do. That's what Datanami wrote about us when we launched. Uh, we are looking at problems from ingest to insight. And the final kind of uh, takeaway is you want to experience what the power of a hyperconverged data platform looks like beyond the buzzwords of cloud native. ELT, ETL, AI, ML, and whatnot. If you're interested in making use case live, not just theory, not just poking fun at it, but moving the needle of the business, then come try us out on isima.io. It's a self-serve platform. Sign up, and you'll be up and running. And we guarantee you, in four weeks, you will have a use case live with one data analyst. That's great. Yeah, yeah we'll, awesome. uh, we'll plug all this in the in the show notes. We've got your Twitter handle. We've got your LinkedIn. And then, obviously, we'll put the company website on there. Um, you know, thank you so much for her, for coming on the show. Yeah, we thanks a lot. You. It's been really great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure we'll have, uh, as that gap narrows, I'm sure we'll have to have another conversation about your your take on the industry. Awesome. Definitely. All right, again, thanks again for having, having us, having you on. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. Okay, bye. All right, All right bye.